When picking an internet service provider, there are several different factors that you might look into. Today, we're gonna to go through what some of those criteria are. Welcome to Copec Explained Software, the podcast where we make computing intelligible. So we're going to do a bit of a lighter topic this week. We have a lot of really cool technical episodes planned, but this week we were thinking we would do something really practical. That's right, Dave. This week we're going to talk about how do you pick an internet service provider or an ISP. Yeah, and if we're lucky, we have multiple that we can pick from. But sometimes people who live in pretty rural parts of the country really don't have a lot of choice. So unfortunately, we're not talking to those people today. If there's only one internet service provider where you live, obviously that's the one you use. There are a lot of different factors, though, in choosing one when you do have the options. Yeah, so what's the first one that you want to talk about today, Rebecca? I think the first one we should talk about is probably the most straightforward, right? Speed. Yeah, speed can really be measured in two different ways. How fast does data get downloaded to your machine and how fast can data be uploaded to servers out there on the internet? So we often get two different speeds that we look at when we're choosing an internet plan, download speed and upload speed. And they're typically measured in megabits per second. Now notice that I said megabits. Usually internet transmission rates are in megabits but we're used to talking in megabytes. And we talked about the difference between these two in a previous episode we did called What is a Byte? And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But in short, a byte is eight bits. So when you're typically thinking about files on your computer and you're seeing those in kilobytes or megabytes or even gigabytes, really when you're looking at those internet speeds, you're looking at something that is actually an eight times higher number. So what I could say to you then is if your internet download speed is 160 megabits per second, it really means that it's 20 megabytes. One eighth of 160 is 20, of course, right? 20 megabytes per second. So keep that in mind because the speeds might not be as fast as you think they are. So then the upload and downloads kind of like watching a Netflix show versus having a Zoom meeting. Yeah, so when you do something on Netflix, you're mostly just downloading data, you're streaming data from a Netflix server to your local computer, right? That's almost all download. Yeah, there might be a little bit of upload when let's say you're sending which settings you want as you watch the movie, or when you're actually making the selection of which movie to watch. But the vast majority of the traffic is going from a Netflix server to your local computer. However, when you do a Zoom call, it's going both ways. Everyone else's video is being downloaded to your machine from some Zoom server, but your video is also being uploaded constantly during the Zoom call to the Zoom server and then from the Zoom server to everybody else. So that upload speed is really going to matter a lot more when you're doing a Zoom call than it is when you're doing watching a Netflix show. And a lot of people have found this the last year. During the pandemic, we've been doing so much more online video, and there were a lot of people who had great download speeds but they didn't have such good upload speeds. Very common on cable internet, for example, is to have download speeds in the hundreds of megabits per second, but only have an upload speed of 10 or 20 megabits per second. And that can be an actual bottleneck when doing online video conferencing, if you don't wanna look all choppy. So another factor would be latency. Can you tell us what that is? Latency is the delay between when you make a request and you get a response. So you're gonna have some latency no matter what, right? Because it literally takes time, even traveling as fast as electrons travel through wires, 
for the data to get from where it's starting to the server that you want to get some data downloaded from. So there's always going to be some latency. But certain kinds of internet connections and certain kinds of protocols and certain kinds of hardware between you and the server increase latency. So it's something you should look at when you are looking into different internet service providers is some of them are gonna offer lower latency than others. This is gonna matter in video conferencing because in video conferencing, do you want there to be a little bit of a delay between when you say something and when everybody else hears you? Or between when you play a game and when your character actually moves on the screen for the other people that you're playing with. So latency really does matter, but it's different from speed. Latency is the delay, but we could be getting a lot of uh, stuff downloaded in a short amount of time. It could just be that we're always waiting an extra fraction of a second for each of the new big chunks of data to arrive. So latency and speed are two different things, but they both together have a big impact on how real-time applications like video conferencing or games actually end up working out for us in practice. This next criteria, I think, is one that we're all really thinking about as we're working from home quite a bit. So that would be data caps. Data caps are how much total data you can download in a given month. So if your data cap is one terabyte, that means you can have a total of one terabyte downloaded from the internet to your machine. This is becoming a real issue in the era of streaming video. So if you download, let's say, a typical movie and it's a few gigabytes, you might say, wow, how am I ever going to get to a terabyte? Remember that a terabyte is a thousand gigabytes. But what if you just have kind of TV on in the background streaming through the internet all the time? And some people watch a lot of TV. Let's say you're watching TV via your internet connection, you know, eight to 10 hours a day. Well, you might then be starting to approach that terabyte over the course of a month. So you don't have to be doing something that's like totally radical or unusual to be hitting these data caps nowadays. And some internet service providers actually still have no data caps. For example, our internet service provider doesn't happen to have one. And some of the national companies, though, have started to aggressively roll them out across their services. And they will say, like, this data cap only affects one or two or four percent of our customers. And you're kind of like, wow, I probably won't fall into that category. But think about what kind of activities you're really doing. And do you even want to be anxious about it? Do you even want to be thinking throughout the month like, hey, I'm worried about hitting my data cap. Better watch less TV or better play less video games. Uh, a lot of people don't want to be in that situation. So something to definitely look at is, does your internet service provider have a data cap? And if it does, are you doing the kind of activities that might possibly hit that data cap? When we pick an, an ISP, we're actually giving them access to our home and to what we're doing, and they could have a pretty powerful effect. They could censor what we have access to. Absolutely. So the internet service provider is kind of the last point of contact for any data that you download before it gets to your home. So if they put in some kind of censorship, which, you know, there, there are laws about one way or the other, depending on what country you live in. But if they em employ some kind of censorship regime, uh, they could actually be limiting what you could do on your internet connection. That's one reason that some people are against having municipal or any kind of government-run internet service providers, is they really don't want the government mixing itself with what data people could possibly get. Um, now, some people would make the opposite argument, which would be that as a public entity, we can better scrutinize 
what their policies are around censorship. But this is definitely a, a topic and it is something that if where you're choosing between internet service providers, one of your options is a government run provider and usually those are municipal providers that you might think about and look into. And it might be more philosophical than practical because in reality, I don't know of a lot of cases where municipal providers were doing any kind of censorship. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about some hardware pieces that go into your ISP, like the router. Do you use a company one or should you buy your own? Yeah, so economically, you're often going to find that it actually does make sense to buy your own. Now, we should be clear about what a router is and how that's different from a modem. So a modem is what goes and actually makes the connection to your ISP. So it's actually giving you a live wire, if you will, uh, getting, giving you the actual pipe. Then the router is taking that pipe and distributing it throughout all the devices in your home. And in the olden days, you'd have a wired router where you'd actually plug in those devices into the router. And in the modern day, of course, you have a Wi-Fi router. It might also have some Ethernet ports for plugging in some devices, but most of your devices are going to be connecting wirelessly. So the router is what distributes the connection amongst all the devices in your home, and the modem is what actually makes the connection to the internet service provider. Now, a lot of internet service providers today actually give you one combined device, and you end up renting that device. So you pay a monthly fee, and that single device is both your modem and your router. Is it economical to buy your own? Does it make sense to buy your own? I mean, the nice thing about renting is that if anything goes wrong, they are going to be responsible for the equipment. And then when your equipment gets really outdated, presumably they're going to replace it for you and give you equipment that's up to a newer standard. But there are a few downsides to this. There's, again, the issue of potentially censorship or just having um, them monitoring all the traffic that's going through your connection. Um, Number two there's the issue that maybe you actually want something that's better than what they're providing. So there's new protocols that come out for Wi-Fi on a regular basis. The current one is called Wi-Fi 6, but maybe your internet service provider is still providing routers that have some of that older standard. And so some of your devices are actually being limiting. And maybe we'll talk about in a minute where the bottleneck is when, when you have one of those older standards. So the other side, though, is economics. So you might end up paying like $6 a month or $10 a month to rent this device where you could go actually buy the modem for like $60 and you could go and buy a router for maybe another $50, $60 for a pretty low-end one. And there you have for $100 something, you now own this equipment and you no longer have to pay that monthly fee. That's going to pay for itself within a couple of years and maybe even uh, be profitable to you within a couple of years. So uh, when you take all of these different criteria into consideration, uh, I think for a lot of people, it actually does make sense to purchase your own equipment. And the other thing is if you choose to switch internet service providers, you can generally take that equipment with you to the next provider. So it's usually not a lost investment. You touched on this a little bit, but can you talk about Wi-Fi standards? Yeah. So there's been several different standards for Wi-Fi going all the way back to the late 1990s when it first came out. The early standards were known as 802.11b, and they were as slow as, believe it or not, 11 megabits per second. And so think about that. Again, we divide by eight, right? That's a little bit over a megabyte per second, which by today's standards would really be a big bottleneck if you were still using one of those older routers. But the thing is that both your router and your hardware device that is accessing the router need to be on the same standard. So, for example, laptops that just came out in the last year have started to support Wi-Fi 6, but it's very unlikely that you actually yet have a router that supports Wi-Fi 6. 
So most of these routers and most of these devices are gonna be backwards compatible going back quite a ways. And so even though you might have a computer that supports Wi-Fi 6, if you have a router that still is on, let's say 802.11n, then that's as fast as you're gonna be able to go is the 802.11n standard. So you're limited by either end. It could be either your device or it could be your router uh, having the latest standard that you that limits you or not having the latest standard rather that limits you. So these standards have improved quite a bit though. So 802.11b, which was the first Wi-Fi standard was 11 megabits per second. Then 802.11g, which came after it was 54 megabits per second. Then 802.11n, which came after that was in the hundreds of megabits per second. And then 802.11ac <laughs> went to like a gigabit, I think. And then Wi-Fi 6 is even faster and has some other benefits in terms of range that it can support as well. Really, these standards have improved quite a bit and that alone is a reason to have a newer router and have a device that, that's compatible with one of those newer standards as well. And you might end up having that one device in your home though that limits you, that happens to people sometimes, is they have some critical device and that device is on an older standard. Well, that device is then gonna be limited to that standard. And if you get a newer router that doesn't support going all the way back to that older standard, which is pretty unlikely today, but it does still happen, then you won't be able to actually use that device with that router. So you need to think about these standards. Generally, the best advice is just to, when you buy a router, get one that's on the latest standard, because even though Wi-Fi 6 is out now, there's still routers out there that go all the way back to 802.11n that are being sold. So it's best to just get one that has the latest standard so that it doesn't become a bottleneck for you. Because certainly, yes, your internet service provider has a certain set speed, but then once that's, that data gets down to your router, you're then actually being bottlenecked then by the speed of the router. And so the speed of the router is gonna be limited by, yes, the standard that it supports, but also by actually the hardware of the router itself. The router is a little computer usually running an embedded operating system that has a microprocessor and can only handle so many concurrent connections at the same time. And so the router itself, if you're, you have a lot of devices, can actually become a bottleneck. So there's all these different factors to think about, but for most people, just get one using the latest standard. Let's talk IP addresses. Is that something to think about when you're picking an ISP? So some ISPs will provide you what's called a static IP address. That's an IP address that doesn't change. But the vast majority of home internet providers are going to provide you a dynamic IP address. That's an IP address that changes over time. The only reason you would really need a static IP address would be if somehow you were using your home internet connection at, as a server. So you were actually going to like set up a server in your house. If you were doing that, you would need a static IP address or you'd need software that connects to a DNS server that provides dynamic IP address, but uh, in, that kind of turns it into a stack IP address. But for most people, we're getting like way out there in left field right mm -hmm. now. But so for most people, this really won't matter. Um, the way it works is you have one IP address out there on the wider internet, and that's the one that your internet service provider is assigning to you. And then you have a bunch of internal IP addresses within your home, within your business, that your router is assigning to each device. So even though you might have like 10 different devices on your home network, all of them will look to other computers on the internet as coming from the single IP address that is assigned to you by your internet service provider. So they have internal IP addresses that we only see within the home, and then they all have one single external IP that the rest of the world sees. So one word we hear thrown around a bit, or at least I do when, when it comes to inter the internet, is firewalls. What actually is a firewall? 
a firewall is a way of trying to prevent certain kinds of traffic from getting to you. And that's usually for security purposes. On a previous episode called How Does the Internet Works, which I'll put in the show notes, uh, we talked about what a port is. But basically, a port is an assigned number that's related to a certain service, such as there's one port for the web, there's a different port for email protocols, there's a different port for uh, SSH and all these, and there's a different port for FTP, et cetera, et cetera. Most of those services, other than the web and email, are not ones that most people really use. And so a firewall goes and blocks all those other ports that there can't be some bad actor trying to get in, break into um, one of your machines through one of those ports. And it might also do some monitoring of traffic in general and try to prevent certain kinds of other attacks. So it's not a bad thing to have. And a lot of routers have built-in firewalls. And a lot of um, internet service providers will have firewalls themselves. And they'll also sometimes provide software to their customers for a software firewall on their computers. And modern operating systems like Windows and Mac OS also have the capability of doing firewalls themselves. So um, do you, is this really something that is like a big added value from your internet service provider? It's certainly a nice to have, but you can certainly set it up yourself as well. So it's not something that I would take into a lot of consideration when choosing an internet service provider. Okay, so we've talked about a lot of different criteria when it comes to picking an ISP. But there's all different types of ISPs. There's cable, there's fiber, there's satellite, there's dial-up. How do they compare to each other? Yeah, so now that we've talked about all these different criteria, we can really look at kind of categories of ISPs. So most people in the 1990s, when they were connecting to the internet, they were using dial-up modems. They literally went over copper wires on the phone line and they would tie up your phone line when you connected and they were basically limited in their most advanced form to 56 kilobits per second. That's why we moved on from them. They had bad latency and they also were really, really slow by today's standards. But the noise they make is now a piece of nostalgia. Yeah, and some podcasts use it as their opener. Uh, so today we have a lot of different choices though. So some, uh, what used to be television providers are often offering us cable, what's called cable internet. A lot of both former uh, telecom and municipal providers offer fiber internet. And then there's also, if you're living in a rural area or just anywhere really, there's the option of satellite internet, but in some rural areas, that's your only option is some kind of satellite internet. So let me give you some just like broad generalizations about all of these, and they might help you just narrow in on which one you want. Cable is generally gonna have good download speeds, but not great upload speeds. And that, of course, you have to look at your individual provider where you live. But when we compare it to something like fiber, generally we're going to have pretty good downloads and not great uploads. Uh, so this didn't matter to people a lot when we were in the Netflix era and just streaming video era. In the pandemic era, where we're starting to more and more actually be doing our, our uploads as well, it matters how, how fast our video is from where we are. It matters how quickly we can get our file uploaded to our work servers. This is starting to matter to people more and more. And this is a downside of a lot of cable providers. However, they've started to improve on it. You're seeing that they're aware of this problem and more and more of them are investing in having better upload capacity. Okay, so that's cable. Then you have fiber. Uh, cable is literally running through those same coaxial cables that we used to get cable TV from. Fiber is running through fiber optic networks. This is data that's traveling via light photons. It's pretty incredible. It's been a technology that's been around for a long time, 
but it's really still state of the art. And this is where you're gonna see the absolute best download and upload speeds, and you're also generally gonna see the best latency. So fiber internet is really the gold standard. It is usually more expensive than any of the other options, although that's really gonna depend again on where you live and the particular criteria. Where we live here in Burlington, Vermont, we actually have fiber internet through what used to be a municipal provider that was privatized. And actually, I'm one of those people who wanted to wait till it was privatized to get it. But anyway, we're, we actually pay less than we used to pay through cable internet. And yet we have a much faster and much lower latency connection. So that's pretty cool. Then you have satellite internet. Now, if you really live in the middle of nowhere, this might be your only option because that just means that there might not have yet been coaxial cables run out to where you live so that you can actually get cable internet or there certainly is probably not a fiber network and fiber costs quite a bit of money to build out where you happen to live. So this might be your only option. This means it's, it's what it sounds like. You're gonna connect to a satellite orbiting the earth uh, every time you connect to the internet. And as you might imagine, the big downside of this is latency. It, there, it does actually take some time to send a signal up into space and it to be processed and then to be sent back down to earth. Um, so this is generally gonna have the worst latency. Download and upload speeds are also generally not great. Download speeds like with cable are usually better than upload speeds. One thing you'll see that's interesting with fiber is a lot of fiber providers actually have a one-to-one -one correspondence between download and upload speeds. So you, in both satellite and cable, you generally suffer from this um, upload bottleneck, if you will, compared to fiber. There's also older standards like DSL, digital subscriber line. Um, they've kind of been going away over time. They didn't quite keep up with cable and certainly not with fiber. But again, in some kind of more rural areas, that sometimes is the only thing you're offered. DSL is generally going to be about where cable was in terms of speeds like 10 years ago. So uh, usually not your best option, but oftentimes pretty inexpensive. I think something this pandemic has taught us is how important your ISP is, both in staying connected to your family and friends, but also in being able to work. So it's a hard and important choice that you're making. And it's really important that everyone has access to the internet. Yeah, unfortunately, we suffer in society from what's called the digital divide, which is the fact that some people, depending on just where they live, don't have access to a fast connection or sometimes even to a connection at all. And that really limits what you can do today. I mean, there's a lot of things that are only available now on the internet. It's very different than things were even five or 10 years ago. And we've really seen the pandemic magnify that. So I think just now we're talking aside from just the technical side of things, I think from a public policy perspective, it does make sense to create incentives for ISPs to, to build out their networks to as broad a populace as possible. That doesn't necessarily mean that um, everything needs to be run by the government, but it does mean that maybe there should be government policy in place, in my opinion, to encourage that kind of build out. Well, Dave, what would you say are the three most important things for folks to think about when they're picking their ISP? Number one is upload speed versus download speed. A lot of services will provide you pretty good download speeds, but not everyone will provide you a good upload speed. Number two is to consider latency. Again, that's how long you have to wait when you do something to actually get a response. And this is going to be particularly a problem for satellite providers. And number three is data caps. 
For most people, you're not gonna hit a data cap, but if you're a big user of internet video, then it's very possible that you will. So look if your internet service provider that you're thinking about even has a data cap, because they don't all have it. But if they do, how much are they gonna charge you after you hit that data cap? Okay, well, thanks for listening to us this week. It was great to have you with us. Rebecca, how can people get in touch with us on Twitter? We're at Copec Explains, K-O-P-E-C-E-X-P-L-A-I-N-S. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button. We have some great, more technical episodes that we're going to be rolling out over the next few weeks, and we look forward to seeing you then. Thanks for listening. <laughs>